Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to do something that um, I've, I've never done before, uh, something I've never known another pastor that has ever done, and it, it's, it's not that radical, okay? But It's not even that crazy, but I've never done it before, and I've never known somebody that's done exactly what I'm going to do today, but I feel like what I'm going to do is what I'm supposed to do. I feel like it's, I feel like the Lord gave me this idea, and we're, today we're going to be starting a a new series in the book of Ephesians, and um, it's a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, and so what I'm going to do for my sermon this morning is I'm going to read the whole book of Ephesians. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to read the whole book of Ephesians. And I really believe that God is going to do something special in your life and in the life of our church through this and through what we're going to do. And, and so, so that's what we're going to do. And, and you know, as I was thinking about this morning, just preparing for this morning, and I did read the book of Ephesians a lot, a lot this week, and it is a really great book, and you, you will enjoy this, is, is I was thinking about the, one of the verses I read two weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, For the word of God is alive and active. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking, do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? You know, one of the fear, a fear that I have of doing what I'm going to do this morning, something that makes me nervous about it, is the thought, is the Word of God enough? Is simply reading the Word of the Lord enough? Is it enough for us? Is it, is it enough? I think, I think that's a fair question. And it's, it should be, right? Like, it should be enough, because I promise you, it'll be the best message I've ever preached in my life, and I ever will preach, because the Word of God is better than any commentary or anything I would ever have to say myself. Although I, I hope I'm led by the Lord, it's still not the Word of the Lord. And so I believe if we will really open our hearts, our minds, that the Lord will really do something beautiful this morning, really something beautiful. And He'll even, I think, give us a greater hunger for his word. So let me set the letter up, okay? Let me, let me set the letter up. The, so this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Um, Paul started this church with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Let me, we have a map up here. I'm just going to give a little context. Um, so this is where geographically where Ephesus is. You can see it's just across from, from Athens. You can see Israel down here. If you were to go up higher, um, this is modern-day Turkey. You would see Istanbul. So this is this is, this is the geographic location of where they were. He was there for three months, and then he, he left. He came back a year later and stayed for three years. Timothy ended up pastoring this church, or is at least one of the pastors of this church. It was a very important city in the day. Uh, the temple to, um, to Artemis uh, was there. In fact, we have some pictures of just some, some ruins. I've never been to Ephesus, but here's some ruins. of. I mean, if you just picture this of marble and its glory day, it was an it was an important a city of commerce, and, and here's the Colosseum that they had, and uh, we have one more, I think another, we, may have, we might have one more, yeah, so here's, you can see the, some of the, um, 
the ruins beyond the Colosseum with the temple. As you just imagine in its heyday and its glory of just this great marble structures, busy. It was about the size of Springfield. Um, it was just it was an important city, important city of trade. And 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 we, this is this book or the the letter was written from Paul. He's in prison in Rome, and so he he writes this letter from prison around sixty sixty one A.D. And then thirty years later. Um, when John writes the revelation of Christ on the Isle of Patmos, he, he, he makes comments about what Jesus has to say at the church of, about the church of Ephesus about 30 years later. And, and Jesus commended them for their hard work, for their perseverance in the gospel, that they didn't put up with false teachers or, doctrine, or doctrines, but yet they had forsaken the deep love of Christ that they would have had when Paul would have written them this letter. Their love had turned in, into duty. And this letter would have been a letter that would have been passed around to all the churches. It would have been read in all of the churches. And so when I read, I'm not going to say to the, to the, to the church at Ephesus, I'm going to read it to the church of Springfield. He wrote this in, he wrote this in prison. There's some, there's some big concepts here as we walk through this. We'll probably spend 12 or 13 weeks in the book of Ephesians. Um, he, he wrote this to the church. And, and, and how many of you know church is not a building, right? We don't come to church. Like, we are the church. We're the people of God. And he talks about this, how it's no longer Jew and Gentile, but there's this new man in Christ, this new human, new, new human beings, this, this thing called the church and the mystery and the wonder of it. And he begins to tell us about, about who we are in him and, and what he has done, what Christ has done. And, and he prays for us. Paul prays for us in this. And, and he just sets up this deep... Um, theological understanding of, of what Christ has done for us, who we are in him, who the church is, what the church is called to be and to do. And then he just gets real practical. And, and because of what Christ has done, because of who we are in Christ, then it impacts how we live and, and, and how we are the church and how we live it out. And, and, and we, we will see this. And so I have a few ways to help you with this this morning. So we are, I'm actually going to be reading the message paraphrase uh, because of the way it's written in, in modern vernacular of it. I think it would be easier to listen to as a letter than a more traditional um, translation. Um, you may just want to close your eyes and listen. You might want to follow along that way. If you're a visual learner, then we have some ways to help you. We have our app. First of all, we have our app, which I don't have my phone up here, which is probably a good thing. But if you have your phone, if you want to open up our app, Grace 417, um, you can go to audio and notes and click on that. And then if you tap on that, it'll go to sermon notes. You tap on that and it'll say letter to the church of Ephesus. Tap on that. And we have the whole book of, of Ephesians for you right there. You can follow it along in that. Or if you would prefer, if you're kind of a paper person, you'd like that. Our ushers are here. If you guys would just come. We have about 100 of these, I think. So if you'd rather follow along in, uh, in paper format, just, yeah, just raise your hand. And as they walk by, they'll give you one. And so you can listen. You can read along on your app. You can read along with the paper book. Um, just, we just want to help you with this with any way that we can. Just so you know, it's about 25 minutes. If you're wondering, I want us to do something. Would you, would you just open up your hands? Would you guys just, let's just open ourselves up to the Lord. Let's just ask him to do something in us that, that really wouldn't be possible if we weren't doing this this way. Lord, we come before you. Lord, as your church, as your people. And Lord, 
We just say right here and right now, Lord, your word is enough. Jesus, you're more than enough. Lord, we don't have to have all the other stuff. Lord, your word and your spirit and fellowship with each other, Lord, that's what really, really matters, Lord. So Lord, as as I read your word today, Lord, I thank you. It is alive. It is active. Lord, I thank you, Lord. We have the prayer like the disciples prayed that, Lord, we would say, Lord, your words are life to us, Lord. Lord, you created the heavens and the earth, the cosmos. You created everything by your spoken word. And so, Lord, we know that your word is powerful. And, Lord, I pray that supernatural things would happen as I read your word, Lord. As we just speak your word out, Lord, they would get into our spirit and our heart and our soul and our mind, our physical bodies, Lord, in ways it just doesn't normally happen when we just simply read it or when I preach. Thank you for leading us this way, Lord. Thank you for for this morning. And so, Lord, it's with faith that we come to your word, Lord, the words of life. We thank you for it, Lord. Do something in us and through us. Speak to us, Lord, today. Individually, Lord, we know you're giving us a general word here, Lord, but individually, I pray you'd speak to every person. Lord, there'd be something of your word that's read today, that's spoken, that would just, yeah, that would be the word for them today. In Jesus' name. Church, can you say amen? Amen. Here we go. So imagine I'm not sitting on a platform on a stool with a Bible. I'm sitting in a jail cell, a prison, dark, damp, yucky, scribing on parchment, or maybe there's an apprentice there, a helper, writing for me, and I'm dictating. So imagine that in your mind, okay? You guys ready? All right, here we go. I, Paul, am under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you faithful Christians in Springfield. I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives by God our Father and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed is God, and what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of His love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people. Free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. 
It's in Christ that we find out who we are and, and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard and believed, believed at this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising, a glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks, but I'd do more than thank I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagant of his work, extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Chapter 2. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled, exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in the world, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea. It's, it's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. 
God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work. He has gotten ready for us to do work we'd better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted, okay? Because it was only yesterday that you outsiders, Gentiles, took God's way, had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall that we used to to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treats us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Chapter 3. This is why I, Paul, am am in jail for Christ. Having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so called, I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on all of this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I have written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, Jews and Gentiles, stand on the same ground before God. They all get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message, the gospel, is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, 
God, God handling all the details. And when it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be rest assured that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. So here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all of this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Though Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All of this, all this is pre is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father. Could, could we do that? If you're physically able, would you, just, would you just get out of your chair and just get down on your knees for a minute? Let's, let's join the Apostle Paul in this. If, you, if you're not physically able, it's okay. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all of heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brood strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly, let's do that. Let's, let's stand and let's plant our feet per- firmly. All right. And, and I ask him that with both feet, fanned, both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimension of Christ's love. Reach out, experience the breadth, test its length, plumb its depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Let's let's sit down. We can sit down now. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah and Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Chapter 4. So therefore, or in light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. Run on the road God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And Mark, 
And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You're all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean that that you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us has given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty, he handed it all out in gifts to the people. It's true, is it not, that the one who climbed up also climbed down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up to the highest heaven? He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He did this to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll we'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We, We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him. You've been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life, it has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. What this adds up to, then, is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. So when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead. Be angry. You do well to be angry. 
But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. Making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgiving one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. You see, mostly what God does is love us. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love us in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry, they will get you nowhere. And certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk, but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. You, you, groped, you, you groped your way through that murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. No more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what pleases God and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things that must be done in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge draughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. Out of respect for Christ... Be courteous, reverent to one another. 
Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the whole church, or makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No. He feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Children. Do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you'll live well and have a long life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Servants, we'll use the term employees. Employees, respectfully obey your earthly masters or bosses but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter, no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you're slave or free, boss or employee. Employers, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and and no threat. You and your employees are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. And that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about like the Super Bowl in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the, against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued. So that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. 
Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and all, the message that I, jailbird preacher that I am, am responsible for getting out. Tychius, my good friend here, will tell you what I'm doing and how things are going with me. He is certainly a dependable servant of the Master. I've sent him not only to tell you about us, but to cheer you on in your faith. Goodbye, friends. Love mixed with faith be yours from God the Father and the Master Jesus Christ. Pure grace and nothing but grace be with you all who love our Master Jesus Christ. Would you guys just close your eyes for a moment? Would you just let that word just deeply fill you? There's something the Lord really just dropped into your heart in this. Would you, would you just respond to him now? If you don't know him as your Lord and as your Savior and you felt his call as I was reading his word, would you say yes to him today? All it takes is a yes, Jesus. A yes, Jesus. Uh, I'm giving my life to you. I receive the work that you've done on the cross for me. If you came in here discouraged and this word encouraged you, then receive that encouragement of the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for this encouragement. If an area of, uh, of sin was addressed in your life, then just confess that to the Lord right now and give it to him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, this was more than just 25 minutes, Lord. Lord, we stepped into eternity for a moment. God, you've deposited in our hearts and in the life of this church, Lord, in a way that I believe is is, is special. Lord, I pray it would dwell richly within us, Lord, and it would bear much, much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.